The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today, and uh, I, we've said it, I don't know how many times, ad nauseum, that Tuesdays are the worst. And uh, I think we had the proof is in the pudding here, Greg, because A, snowfall warning, the return mm-hmm. of winter, and B, yes. uh, we're coming off a loss for the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, you had to bring it up. I knew you would. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, The Jets jumped out to a two. I know we're the voice of the Jets. I was hoping we could just kind of sneak it under the radar and make Cam Poitras do all the heavy lifting on this. <laughs> a di- <laughs> definitely a disappointing loss for the Jets last night. They jumped out to a 2 nothing lead. Their power play had several opportunities. They were all over Ottawa, but The Senators must have had half a dozen or more breakaways. They capitalized on a couple of bad bounces. You might even say a couple of bad plays by goaltender Connor Hellebuck. And uh, Ottawa wins 4-2. And the Jets now uh, face the Senators again tomorrow night and need to start a new winning streak as their winning streak is now snapped at three games. The only good news last night, Brett, is that Toronto also lost last night. So the Jets did not lose any ground on the Maple Leafs in the quest for first place, but they did conversely miss out on a golden opportunity to move within three points of the Maple Leafs, who they take on today's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night in Toronto. So we're going to have the sounds of the game coming up at 7.55. Hextall and hockey coming up at 6.55. And That is going to follow a discussion which we'll have just after 6.45 based on a headline that you shared with me just 10 minutes ago from Alan Cross, a renowned musicologist. He's the host of the Ongoing History of New Music on our sibling station, Power 97, and we speak to him about all things music and music history. And the headline reads, Sorry, Gen X, but the music of your youth is now the new classic rock. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to make a whole other generation feel a little bit older, maybe the way I feel now when I listen to my favorite music from when I was a kid, Brett, and my kids look at me and go, this is old, Dad. Well, I've done some math. It's so much older. My old music versus what I used to accuse my dad's music of being old like it's night and day in terms of the math i'll work it out for you a little bit later this morning but uh it's somewhat stunning actually and so now i feel twice as old as i did before i started my work day today <laughs> i've been and thinking, i have only alan cross and myself to blame i've been thinking about that for years though uh that the music that i still very much enjoy listening to has got to be considered classic rock too a younger person, like when I was in my teens, listening to stuff from the 70s, the 60s or 70s or whatever, that's what I considered at the time to be classic rock. But I'm a big fan of 90s rock because that was sort of the the my youth, the, my, the formative years. They say that the music that you liked between, is it 18 and 24, is will be your favorite music for your entire life. I'm pretty sure I've heard that before. And if not, then fine, let's just run with it. Because that's basically still indicative (laughs) of my favorite music. I can always turn on 90s rock and be a very, very happy camper. Or 90s pop music, but often 90s rock. And since we're talking about classic rock, it would be 90s. So yeah, Kurt Cobain is featured. uh, He is the, the picture they chose for that particular story. And that makes sense. I mean, when did Nevermind come out? Was it 1993, the Nirvana album? Sounds about right. Um, I always relate it to where I was working, where I was living, and I can certainly remember uh, uh, jumping around and and trying to figure out how do I dance to this at the <laughs> A back in before. Well, that have been before moving to Calgary in '91, but that might have been Pearl Jam and not Nirvana. So I'll have to look it up. But it's it was '91, so by the way. Sorry, it was '91. It was '91. So there you go. So that does add up. In terms of my uh, my memories at uh, at my favorite uh, hotspot uh, back in St. James back in the day, so yeah, 1991. So uh, I'm it's too early to do serious math, but I think that's 30 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, I think the appropriate way to dance to that kind of stuff was just be like a pogo stick, wasn't it? <laughs> just sort of jump up and down and try not to yeah, bump into too kinda, many people. 
just kind of slump your shoulders and kind of do that kind of double double tap with each foot and kind of just swing your arms back and forth, perf- uh, preferably with your lumber jacket tied around your waist, <laughs> and then and, and you were perfectly uh, in in sync with uh, the rest of the group and uh, maybe even in fashion style. I, I never once owned a lumber jacket. Did you ever have a lumber jacket, Brett McGarry? I did not. I did not. Um, I think. How did I you not get one. kicked out of Transcona for <laughs> not having one? They didn't ask you to leave? No. Okay. No, they didn't ask me to leave. I think at the time I would have had, I remember having a, a Notre Dame Fighting Irish pullover hoodie style jacket. Not that classic starter pullover parka. You remember the starter brand parkas, the team oh, parkas with that, that kangaroo pouch on the front? Absolutely. I always wanted one of those. I wanted a Charlotte Hornets one, but I never got one. But I did get uh, sort of a spring version, and it was a uh, bright green Notre Dame Fighting Irish one, which was uh, pretty nice. So that's like, Charlotte Hornets? I always liked the Charlotte Hornets. I think I liked their colors. I liked the teal. It was sort of an exciting color at the time, and the team was exciting, and they were, you know, they had, a, you know, a, they were the, the, the flashy young team. They had Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, and they were Grandma touted. Grandma That's right, Grandma the wearing the Converse shoes, and they were expected to become NBA champions, but they never quite reached that, and I think that part of that is Larry Johnson had all kinds of injury issues, right? Mm, yeah, and they had Muggsy Bogues, and then uh, Michael Jordan got involved, and that was just not good. He's not good. Well, it's funny that you mentioned wanting a Charlotte Hornets anything, yep. because I was shocked the other day. Some mail showed up at our house, and a package with my son's name on it. I go, what, what is this? He goes, Dad, it's my Hornets jersey. Nice. Charlotte Hornets jersey. They're back in fashion, Brett McGarry. Wow. That's cool. So look at that. See, we were talking about classic rock, and we ended up yep. talking about basketball from the 90s. So clearly I am still Full stuck. Full circle. Full <laughs> I, circle. I'm still stuck in my uh, teenage and early years. I also just wanted to quickly acknowledge as well, before we check your forecast, uh, to issue greetings for Ramadan. It began yesterday, and I, I just Googled, what do you say for Ramadan? While wishing a coworker happy Ramadan isn't offensive or inaccurate, most Muslims use the Arabic translation Ramadan Mubarak to greet each other. You can also say Ramadan Kareem, which apparently means have a generous Ramadan. Wonderful. I hope that Google search is correct. I'm sure you'll be corrected if it's <laughs> if, if <incorrect>. not. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off. Greg is in the home office. Was that whiskey I just heard, Greg? That uh, was my wet shoe on my bar stool, actually. (laughs) I I promised you I would go and take a look at the snow and see if it was shovel-worthy or not. And I think I'll leave the driveway, but I'm expecting... A delivery today and so i should make sure that there's at least a path and i will be shoveling my front walk to make sure that that delivery person can get to my front door with as uh, little hassle as possible because the roads are going to be challenging enough today after seven o'clock we're going to speak with global's alicia dacey what would uh, her official title be like a web overlord Yes. Yeah. Yes. Would that work? Yes. Okay. We. I think that works I, perfectly. Okay. Yeah. She's uh, our, our global news uh, web overlord, and she's going to tell us a story about how plastic bag the ban back in effect, or the move to get rid of plastic bags is now full steam ahead at Manitoba Safeway stores. So we'll get more details on that. And in our next segment, and you can start texting us now. Tell us a story. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. What do you consider classic rock? What is classic rock to you? Because Alan Cross at globalnews.ca says, Sorry, Gen X, but the music of your youth is now the new classic rock. And that's certainly to ma- going to make uh, many of us feel older uh, than we did uh, before we read it. But whatever. I, I'm okay. 90s rock all the way, baby! We get right. to celebrate the music of our lives. That's that's really the gist here. Yeah, so let's have some fun with that. Tell us a story, 204-780-6868. Chance to win a Santa Lucia pizza $20 gift card. We'll give it away just after 9.15. You know the drill. As case counts continue to rise, public health officials say clusters of Manitobans not following health orders 
are to blame. And it could mean more restrictions soon for all of us. Global's Brittany Greenslade has more. Large gatherings, failing to follow isolation rules, and close contact numbers escalating. Manitoba's top doctor is warning people to buckle down. We will get back to normal, uh, but right now uh, we're, we're, we're facing a third wave. And so we really have to double down uh, to, uh, to stop this transmission right now. Dr. Brent Rusin says people are failing to follow current public health orders. The contact tracing investigations are showing that uh, people are holding larger gatherings in their private residences. Uh, we're seeing house parties, we're seeing play dates, we're seeing sleepovers. Uh, we're seeing cases with um, many more contacts than we have saw in, uh, in the recent past. According to recent surveillance data, just last week, one Winnipeg case had 57 close contacts. Another in the southern health region had 33, and a case in the north had 25. Most of the outbreaks we see, most of the, the cases and contact, uh, cases that have a lot of contacts we see just haven't followed the, the restrictions that are in place. And it's not just gatherings, but people disobeying the mandatory two-week isolation for anyone entering the province. I was uh, aware of, uh, of a case that returned from um, uh, travel out west um, that didn't isolate and, um, and five separate households were now uh, implicated in this. So, uh, so there are examples of this uh, and, uh, and again these are, these are preventable. And if people fail to follow the rules, Rusin warns a tightening of restrictions could be close for everyone. Uh, moving back to uh, tighter restrictions on private gatherings, it's, uh, we could be looking at that outdoor mask mandate um, and really looking at anywhere where people gather indoors for prolonged periods of time. Uh, we cannot uh, be uh, in a third wave and put that strain on our healthcare system again. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. And while he says all options are on the table, Dr. Rusin says closing schools isn't likely. He says a large number of cases are coming from school-aged kids in the 10 to 19 age bracket, bracket, but they're not contracting COVID in the classroom. The doctor again urged kids to stay away from large indoor gatherings, even if it's with members of a sports team or other group, Brett, and you could, you could hear Dr. Rusin's concern. His tone of voice was a little bit different yesterday, and I believe, and once again, this is just my interpretation, that we are going to see some increased restrictions coming later on this week. He hinted at that yesterday. You could tell he was sort of frustrated with where we're at, and when he was outlining how we got here, uh, you could tell that he was bothered by the fact that there are these multiple dozens of contacts as they trace these cases in some instances. Yeah, I mean, we uh, he was also pretty specific in pointing to that this is happening in gatherings. Uh, so if they do reimpose restrictions, let's say they... Uh, add further restrictions to restaurants, whether they shut them down or remove perhaps the ability to go to a restaurant with anybody else. Like maybe uh, if they were to at least leave them open, but you, it has to be back to the household only rule. And if they, but it would be nice if they could provide some sort of uh, examples and not specific examples, but say, look, we've, we've traced some of this back to some restaurants or we've traced some of this to gyms or we've traced some of this to, Recreation facilities, I don't know, but rather than if they're going to impose, reimpose whatever the restrictions might be, um, that's frustrating because so many of us are trying to stick yes. to the rules. But as I pointed out yesterday, I saw examples on social media of people who were clearly flouting the rules over the weekend. And uh, uh, and, and I'll, I'll add this as well. One of my buddies said this, and he he's not disobeying the public health order, but he said, you know... I just don't feel any urgency from the province on the vaccination. And if there's no urgency from them, why should I have any urgency on this? I just don't care anymore. It's an interesting message. And I wonder how many people are getting that message. It's not the right one. I understand how some could dissect it and receive it that way. That if (laughs) we've got tens of thousands of these vaccines waiting to go into arms why aren't we ramping things up where are the multiple sites i know they've got some rapid testing that they're starting in winkler over the next uh, several days but gee whiz um yeah uh, 
this is just frustrating, frustrating beyond words uh, for so many of us. Uh, how do we get out of this? Mackling, you found a headline this morning on globalnews.ca courtesy of musicologist Alan Cross. Yeah, Alan Cross basically bursting the bubble of uh, uh, several million Canadians, I suppose. It's It goes like this. My uh, Wi-Fi is a little slow right now. Sorry, guys. The, the headline says this, Alan Cross, sorry, Gen X, but the music of your youth is now the new classic rock. And it features a picture of Kurt Cobain. And as you mentioned, that... Uh, Never mind, right? Nirvana's first album, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, no, that was her, that was her second album, I believe. Oh, I see. I yeah, was Bleach was their first. Guy. Yeah, but that was Thank but you. their big one was Nevermind. Yeah, Nevermind. Okay, well, it's basically <laughs> it's basically thirty years ago. So do the math, and uh, basically he's saying uh, you're old now. Don't make fun of other people who listen to quote unquote classic music because your favorite music is now classic rock. So let's go around the horn here. We've got Cam Poitras. We've got Jeff Forte. Jeff Braun is not available. He's busy t- keeping track of all the cancellations. And I see we just got a bunch uh, from the Franco-Manitoban School Division as well as a bus cancellation from them for uh, Noel Richaud. But uh, Cam Poitras, what do you consider to be classic rock? Well, I consider the Scorps to be classic rock. Oh, so you're still in the mind, like, classic rock is classic rock for you. Well, yeah. Anything that I didn't grow up with in the era, and I was born in 1991, I don't, like, they're saying, like, Nirvana is now classic rock, Pearl Jam is classic rock. I don't think of it as as classic rock to my, you know, to me, at least. I guess I'm wrong, uh, but I just don't, it doesn't enter my mind as classic rock because it was, like, the stuff that came before me, you know? Well, hey, then that's fair, and yeah. I think that's, that because, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but classic rock as a genre probably didn't really start until like you and I were kids. And I know we're separated by a few years, but am I wrong in that? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the oldie station played the Beatles. The oldie station played early stones. The oldie station played maybe even Led Zeppelin to a certain extent. Um, yeah. So uh, the the oldies format, I would say, began when I was in my early teens, and you were uh, knee high to a grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's um, well, yeah, ex- exactly. And uh, uh, you know, it, in radio, doesn't a song after it's twenty five years then it's considered to be gold? So Nirvana has been gold or classic rock for you know a number of years now. Jeff Forte, See, well, I, I'm in the same boat as Cam. Oh, well, you know, born, born the same year. And, like, I, what I think of classic rock, you know, I'm picking Led Zeppelin. I'm picking the classic, classic rock bands. Like, I don't even think, like, 80s to me is really classic rock. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I could consider, like, Motley Crue as classic rock. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, the pioneers of rock is, like, you know, what I look at to be classic rock. So 60s and 70s to me is classic rock. Like, when I think of um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think of that as, like, new rock. <laughs> yeah. Well, Still, even, even though they're, they're, they've been a band before I was born. So is it, I wonder if, if they should, rather than just lump it all in as classic rock, should it be a, a separate genre? Like I said, 90s rock. Yeah. For example, or you could do... You could just call it the 80s, or you could call it hair metal, but maybe classic rock should be its own sort of pre-existing genre, and then we just redefine these other things as something other than classic. I don't have a problem. If you want to call my 90s rock classic rock, go ahead. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care either, but I think you're onto something there, Brett. I I think that there should be different categories, because I really don't consider grunge from the early 90s to be like a classic rock from, you know, comparative to like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or something like that. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. What is classic rock to you? Tell us a story if you can. Like maybe you went to see a concert in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s of something that you never would have you never would have thought you'd be talking about it as classic rock but here we are and uh, we're going to give away a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza at 9:15 <laughs>
Breaking the law, breaking the law. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. We're asking you at 204-780-6868, what do you consider to be classic rock? And if you can tell us a story or insert a comment at 204-780-6868, that'll give you a chance to win. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Alan Cross put up the story today at globalnews.ca. Sorry, Gen X, but the music of your youth is now the new classic rock. So Jason texting us saying, Alan Cross forgot the most fundamental part of being Gen X. You will not label us. Don't even call us alternative. Maybe classic X, L-O-L. Either way, we'd probably all agree. There's been very little decent music produced over the last 20 years. (laughs) Compared to the 70s, 80s, or 90s, which is probably also a good indicator, our tastes are now classic winky face. By the way, Neil Howe, who wrote the fourth turning, would have sub-classifications for us Gen Xers. Greg, you are an Atari Gen Xer, while Brett is a Nintendo Gen Xer. That works for me, and I think that's also the hallmark of somebody who listens to classic rock or very much likes classic rock, thinks that nothing recent is good. I would... Jason, I'm not with you there. I think there's been a lot of great music made over the last three decades, but I still, when I need comfort music, I always turn to the music of my youth, because as I mentioned earlier, the music from 18 to 24 tends to be where we fall. So let us know what you think for a chance to win, and we'll give that away just after 9.15. In the meantime, when the pandemic hit us last year, there were some simple pleasures that many Manitobans rediscovered or discovered for the first time. At the top of the list for a lot of us were our very own neighborhoods. Walking and cycling on roadways, otherwise shared with vehicular traffic. Could it be that some of us were breaking the law? 14 routes around the city welcomed families and individuals to get moving and explore parts of the city adjacent to parks, rivers, and other trails. It was pandemic invention that many Winnipeggers loved. It appears as though those routes are going to make their reappearance this May with one gigantic caveat, no pedestrians. And in the meantime, we've got no mackling at the moment, having some technical difficulties at the home office. So we say hello to Matt Allard, City Councillor for St. Boniface, who has been leading the way in seeing these routes reopen in 2021. Good morning, Councillor. Morning. So it would appear that the city was aiding and abetting Winnipeg citizens in contravening the Highway Traffic Act for several months in 2020. So what can you tell us about Section 143-1 of Manitoba's Highway Traffic Act? Well, I can tell you I'm currently in discussions with the Director of Public Works and the Head of our Legal Services about how um, the Highway Traffic Act and the Winnipeg Charter interact in terms of what is appropriate and inappropriate use of streets by pedestrians. Um, as you as you mentioned, the report uh, says what it says, and so I'm currently in discussions with uh, with uh, Public Works and with uh, Legal Services. That being said, this report uh, I intend to support. I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm currently um, uh, I've already reached out to all my council colleagues by email, and I'll be following up with phone calls and meetings to see what changes they would need in order to support this report. And uh, so I expect. Um, uh, I'll be doing a lot of work in the, in the coming days. And uh, last time this, uh, this motion passed with uh, an exceptional unanimous council support with something that was very new. And I think in part it's because these, uh, these routes were just so very popular. Um, one, of the, one of the things that's a benefit out of this report as presented by the public service is that these open streets would, be, uh, would become part of our active transportation network. So it would add a, a big chunk to the active transportation network without big capital investments. And so in terms of what this report is considering, um, it's considering 14 enhanced cycle routes, nine to be implemented immediately. And uh, as I said, I'll be looking for amendments. Uh, I I plan on amending uh, one of the streets uh, in my ward, Lindale Drive, to make the implementation a little bit better by motion. And and yes, as you mentioned, the the city uh, public services branding these holiday cycle routes to uh, send a message uh, about uh, about their position on uh, on uh, where pedestrians are allowed and not allowed to use the street. So last year when these routes were open to pedestrians and to cyclists, 
Were we, in fact, breaking the law by using them? Was the public service aware of it? Who brought this to your attention, that it was in contravention of the Highway Traffic Act to allow people to be walking on certain stretches of these open streets? Uh, so it was first brought to my attention in the pre-meeting um, of last month's public works meeting. So that's when I first found out about the director's position on this. And uh, as I said, I, I, I don't think I don't think it's uh, as black and white as it's being presented right now. There are provisions in the Highway Traffic Act and in the Winnipeg Charter uh, that say uh, when it's allowable for pedestrians to be on the street, when it's not allowable, uh, you think of uh, parades protests, patios, there's all sorts of uh, situations where pedestrians are on the streets. And so those are the types of discussions I'm having with our director of the public works and with our legal services to see uh, how those things are allowed. And um, and I think in many of those cases, they've been allowed through bylaws. So I'm, I'm currently in discussions in terms of that point. But uh, that point aside, I think this report is going in the right direction. I intend to support it with amendments. We only have about 60 seconds, Councillor. Where do we go from here? Well, I know I'll be uh, uh, communicating with my city council uh, colleagues. I've already uh, contacted, uh, well, all of them by email, and I've already had uh, interactions with some of them. So the work for me begins, and and my hope is that council can support this report as amended. And uh, and so there may be uh, some amendments. I know there were there were many for it to get to council with unanimous support last time. So. I think for me, the work uh, just begins, and I hope that uh, we'll be able to deliver um, immediately nine new uh, or nine uh, uh, enhanced holiday cycle routes immediately, as per the report, and like to get going as quickly as possible on the total 14 enhanced cycle routes that are identified in the report. So that's my hope, and um, and so I, I guess there's two things going on. I want to I want to really understand how uh, how how the pedestrians are supposed to engage the streets in consultation with the director of public works and and legal and the other part of it is i really do want to see this report go through council with some amendments so those uh, those are the things i'm hoping for in the next few weeks matt allard city councillor for st boniface joining us live on 680 cjob councillor thank you very much mackling and mcgarry mcnab is off today Another night of protest, a second night of curfew, a second night of questions, anger, and violence in Minnesota. This from WCCO in the Twin Cities, Brett. Hundreds of protesters gathered for a second night outside of the Brooklyn Center Police Department one day after one of the city's officers shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright during a traffic stop. Corey Heppola hosts Hey, It's Corey Heppola on WCCO Radio in the Twin Cities. We welcome Corey back to the start. Good morning, Corey. Hi, Greg. Hi, Brett. Thank you guys for having me. Well, we appreciate you uh, lending your voice to this. Uh, Where do we start? Another evening of unease and unrest in the city just north of Minneapolis. I think it's very complex. Um, You know, there's complex feelings here, but I think what we have to understand is that um, we can choose to look at this um, both ways, and we can choose to look at what has happened here, and I think, I think it's pretty clear. You know, you look at the, the black community uh, here in this state and in this community, but also in this country, and they, it's like they're stuck in a time loop. It's like it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter how we act. This continues to keep happening, and it is exhausting, and it's angering, and it's painful, and all of those things. And, and we should empathize. We should listen. We need to understand that it is true, and it happens disproportionately. And it's not just death. There are other things and, and barriers put in place for, for black Americans to be successful in this country. That is absolutely true. I think when you look at the body camera video from this police officer and you look in, and the police here have said, look, it was an accidental shooting. I think when you look at the body camera video, it's pretty clear it is. Um, she, she did not intend to, you know, she thought she was grabbing her taser. So I also think it's we need to maintain a level of empathy in this particular case for an officer who, who did not probably mean to do this, did not mean to do this, and now is, is having to live with, with that as well and, and, and also now feeling this cause of I caused all of this stuff to happen again when, when I unintentionally did it. Is there a chance the protests and the demand for answers 
get drowned out by those, as, as some have suggested, by those taking advantage of the situation, by those looting and setting fires? Well, it's happening, and, and there's no, look, there's no place for looting or for violence. I mean, that's just on top of, of already what is a, a deadly, tragic situation. So there's nothing, I mean, there, there's no excuse for that. But, but you have to understand where that comes from. It comes from a place of, of pain. It comes from a place of feeling like you are stuck, that you are in a, you, you will never be able to get out of that. And I think that's, we're not, I'm not like saying, hey, that's acceptable. I'm just trying to explain exactly why it is happening and why you're seeing this emotional response. Corey, there are millions of people judging the actions of the yet-to-be-named officer. We've seen, at least most of us who are interested in this story, have seen the video of what happened. Uh, The officer who's yet-to-be-named pulling the trigger on her firearm, uh, suggesting immediately that she thought it was a taser. Is there room for judgment of the actions of Dante Wright and the decisions he made Sunday afternoon? Well, it's complex, right? So, you know, he's resisting arrest, but still the, the police officers are, you know, they're not the judge and jury, and that's certainly not punishable by death. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are things, and I hear a lot of times, well, he should just comply, sure, but why is he, why is he running? Is he running because he wants to get away from police? Is he running because um, he has seen people who look like him, other young black Americans, uh, killed? And is he afraid? We don't know. And that's the unfortunate part here is that we will never know because um, he is, is somebody that lost his life. You're the father of two sons. What conversations are you having with them these days? You know, we have three kids. Um, you know, I'm white. My wife is black. Uh, I grew up here in Minnesota. I love this state. And um, I did not have these experiences. I I. You know, having grown up here, there are times where I, I mean, I, I can remember vividly I was 20 years old and I was stopped for expired tabs. And you know what? My response was was not good. It's something that I'm embarrassed about to this day where, you know, I was I was, you know, uh, smart and 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 uh, acted acted uh, very angrily at the police officer. And you know what? My kids will never be able to do that. And, and they shouldn't. But they will never be able to make that same mistake because there will be a different response. And that's something our kids are young, and my wife and I are talking about that each and every day, of their experience growing up in this country is going to be different. And look, you know, my wife is not, she's not African-American either. She's Canadian, actually, and she's Jamaican. And so she moved to this country when she was eight. And so trying to figure out why is there this implicit bias against me? I don't even understand this or even race relations or slavery dating back centuries in this country. I don't understand that. So that that's something that immigrants in this country have to deal with, too, where they don't have that history of this country, but yet they come into it. And why are we treated a little bit differently or why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? That's it's all really heavy stuff. That's incredibly complex, made more so. Uh, by what's going on just down the road from Brooklyn Center in Minneapolis and the Derek Chauvin uh, trial. Does this play into this at all, Corey? Of course. It is um, it is layer upon layer upon layer. You know, you have what happened here in May, which as we're seeing through the trial, we talk to attorneys every day and on my show, and every single one of them say the prosecution is doing an incredible job uh, right now. And that Derek Chauvin, you, you know, you see the video and everyone sees the video. So you have that, which has sparked a global conversation on race and equity, which is a, a conversation we've needed to have for a very long time. And I'm thankful that we're having that conversation, not because of why it was sparked, but of course, yeah. I mean, if people are, it is tense. People are angry. And now you add this on top of it, Um, And it's just, it's added fireworks. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, Corey Heppela, WCCO Radio host of Hey, it's Corey Heppela. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it, sir. You got it, Greg. You got it, Brett. Anytime. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. Coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock, we're going to hear a segment that aired this morning on Global News Morning. 
And I love the way that this is labeled in our system, ancient campground reservation system. So we're going to hear that they spoke to the province about well, what they did. And, and uh, quite frankly, the system sucks. OK, like it, it's a garbage, garbage system. And I'm glad that I don't like camping because I would have destroyed my computer, my mobile device, whatever I was using. I can't believe how awful this system like it, it, is there anything that has yielded so many complaints than our camping system. Registering for uh, swimming lessons with the city of Winnipeg. I guess so, yeah. The 311 programs. Uh, you know, is this just... I, uh, I'm i not sticking up for these systems in anyway because I think they're both ancient. I think they're both lousy. But is this just indicative of the fact that Manitobans, A, love to camp, Winnipeggers, Manitobans love their swimming lessons. Uh, why, when something is important to us, why is there not the absolute want, need, desire to make sure that we keep up? So at least the, some of the things in the life that bring us joy don't also have to bring us regret and anger. President uh, and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Lauren Remillard, yesterday tweeted this. And we're going to segue this into complaining about something else in a moment here. But Lauren Remillard yesterday said, I truly despise Manitoba Park's reservation system. If people are wondering what the effect of system-wide, we've always done it this way, thinking and bureaucratic process for this client service focused is, I give you Manitoba Park's non-reservation system. So we're going to hear what the province has to say about this Client crap focused. system. Sorry, that, that word, two words together, Brett, just jumped out for me. And why did they jump out for you? Because that's what the, what these systems are not. Yeah. They, they are focused on either saving money, outsourcing them to somebody that can do it cheaper, uh, and so that the, the province doesn't have to worry about it themselves, or, or there's just a, a complete lack of understanding and appreciation as to how precious summers are for Manitobans and that camping goes hand in hand for thousands and thousands of us. Especially as we look at another summer where we're going to be pretty much trapped in Manitoba. Well, not trapped, but we're, we're not going to be able to exit the province so people want to enjoy Manitoba. Right. So make it easier for us to do that. Anyway, we'll hear about that after 9 o'clock. Because in the meantime, just as it was warming up out there, another blast of winter Moved into Manitoba. The storm system continues to cause some problems. We've heard school cancellations all day. The roads are terrible. And as Global's Joe Scarpelli reports, many are just sick of it. Just when you thought winter was over... It's supposed to be April, right? In fact, it is April. April 12th. And on April 11th... I wasn't wearing this, for sure. Many people tell us over the weekend you'd be lucky to find a seat under the canopy here at the Forks, with many people apparently in t-shirts. And now, not a person in sight. Sorry, it's really bad, like this is right in my eyes. The wind, the slush. It's just making everywhere so messy, and I'm cold. I just don't like the cold. Meanwhile on the roads... The road is very bad, the snow is very high, and... So much rain and very dirty condition in the right now. As of 1230 Monday, CAA Manitoba says it received 130 calls, most for towing requests. Meanwhile, RCMP responded to four crashes between Headingley and Portage during the morning rush. The snow is, is a little surprise after after some nice weather there, so some people don't have their winter tires on anymore. Um, you know, we need to remember that we need to drive to conditions at this point. To make matters even more complicated, Manitoba hydro workers are still on strike. But a hydro spokesperson says there's a robust plan in place to maintain public safety and electrical reliability, saying in part, the plan includes deployment of Manitoba Hydro contingency staff and contractors as required. As it's a rotating strike, the locations vary day to day. Customers in these areas may experience longer than usual outage restoration times, and we appreciate their understanding and patience. And patience is what many will need to ride out the spring storm. Joel Scarpelli, Global News. <laughs> so the Jets lose. The Jets did not make a big trade yesterday. Mm -hmm. COVID is running wild in Winnipeg town. <laughs> and the words of Hulk Hogan, 
Camping reservation system sucks. And winter's back. No wonder everybody's in a bad mood today. And it's Tuesday, which already oh, sucks. Yeah, so you, you put all those things on top of that. No wonder all these things are happening. You could say it's because it's Tuesday or if it just already makes a bad day of the week even worse. But yeah, and it, even you're having a day, Greg. You had some technical issues that kicked you off of your system. You had to dial in on the phone and you had to sort of unplug everything and replug everything in. Mm-hmm. So... Well, what are you going to do? It just is the way it goes. I promised you at the beginning of the this weather situation, I would not lament the moisture. I'm not lamenting the moisture. I understand why people are frustrated and and it's uh, it's not something that you want to deal with, but it is, you know, I wanted to yell at the, maybe I was yelling. Well, Joe's report was running. Yes, it's only April 11th. Come on. We, we know that this happens more often than not. We're, we're smarter than that. Our memories are better than that, aren't they, Brett? I think so. I think it's just easy to get spoiled, right? And because of the situation we're in, we were, we got spoiled with that weather. And many of us just made the switch. We said, that, okay, that's it. We're done with winter. But then winter said, not so fast. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Musicologist Alan Cross says, Music from the early 1990s is now classic rock. In your mind, what is classic rock? And the question of the day, by the way, is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt. Since 1992, visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. What are you doing down there, Greg? Did you just oh, drop I'm something? Just- no, I'm just getting. I'm getting my uh, ducks in order here. Sorry, they're they're noisy ducks. <laughs> I, I thought maybe you were like playing drums with your pens or something. <laughs> my my uh, honestly, my rings are banging on the glass tabletop. So uh, sorry, I got to get used to this uh, new home setup here. <laughs> I just heard stuff falling all over the place, and like I need a credenza <laughs> or something to put my additional. Uh, technical uh, equipment on here. I don't know what I need. I need uh, I need a month off, I think, is what I need. Now, this li- came in from a listener, Fortier, uh, somebody suggesting Foreigner, hot-blooded. Do you have that text handy? It's from Mick. I, I know who it's from. I interacted with them because was it was it Mick? It's Mick. You've got do yeah. you have it in front of you, Forte? I have it. What does he say? He says, Star Crew, whenever I hear the foreigner song Hot Blooded, I think of the WKRP in Cincinnati episode when Les Nessman is putting on a wig for his date with Jennifer. That's classic rock of '78. I gotta tell you, I hate this song so much, and I'm sorry, Mick. It's a great, it's a good song. I acknowledge it, its place in history, but it's just one of those songs that I was at uh, my cousin's place in in southern Ontario in Kitchener. I think it was her 30th birthday party, but I was 13, so it was bedtime for me. So the adults are upstairs, and they just had Foreigner on repeat. I'm sure I heard this song five times that night. I wanted to go upstairs and say like. What are you doing? Is this the only band you guys know? Anyway. Foreigner so, 4 was a great record. I'm sure it was. I just you I, just I, I don't to put it on repeat. I don't want I don't want to hear it anymore. Even on the turntable, I think you could set it up to play the same song over and over on the LP. It somehow read the gap in between the songs and then we're and then it would move back and it would go back down. If you had a linear tracking turntable, it was super easy and super common to do. But Foreigner 4, that was like my first round of record albums. Like My dad was buying Foreigner 4. My dad loves that album. Mm-hmm. And it comes from that same era of when I started listening to the Beatles. And I would give my dad a hard time about the Beatles. Oh, they're so old, Dad. That's That's like so long ago. Well, you know what? Nothing like math and facts to bring you back to reality. Hmm. Ed Sullivan, February 9th, 1964. That's when the Beatles uh, hit the stage. And I was giving my dad a hard time in the 80s about that. And earlier you heard Jeff Forche play Survive by Harlequin. And one of my first albums, circa 1979, was uh, Victim of a Song from Harlequin. So I did a little bit of math. So that came out in 1979. That's 42 years ago. My kids still sort of give me a little bit of a hard time when I listen to classic rock, but they do like that stuff. But I can guarantee you this, that in 1982, my parents were not listening to songs from 1940. That's the equivalent. My brain is melting with numbers right now. 
that's the equivalent. Your parents never listened to music from 1940. Like if they were into rock and roll, trust me on that. So it just uh, really highlighted for me how far away we are with regard to uh, understanding just how how quickly time passes when and indeed, it comes to music. And sorry, time is passing quickly here. We are almost out of it, so we got to move here. We've been hearing for over a week now, trying to book a campsite online through the province is a garbage experience. People have been lamenting it for years, and it's only been amplified this year thanks to the pandemic. So today on Global News Morning, Gabrielle Marchand spoke with Manitoba's Minister of Conservation and Climate, Sarah Guimard, MLA for Fort Richmond, to find out why is it so bad? Demand. I mean, Manitobans are being told to obviously stay home. Sorry about that. If we can just start with the demand, I mean, Manitobans are being told to obviously stay home this year because of the pandemic. So many more people probably traveling in our province. Did we see many more Manitobans trying to book on the system? We absolutely did see an increase, actually quite a bit more than anyone could anticipate. Um, in comparison, or to give you a little bit of perspective, hearing from some of our counterparts who handle the national booking system for some of our national parks, they said that we far exceeded the numbers that they see for uh, Banff and Jasper Parks. So just to give you a little bit of uh, a taste of where we were dealing with large influx of numbers. Well, hopefully that's a win for local tourism, at least. Now, we did hear from a number of people at Global News, also on our sister station, 680 CGOB, people reporting glitches. Some saying they would suddenly find themselves far lower on the list than they initially were, or they were kicked out as they were trying to book. I feel like we do hear about these same issues uh, every year. We've heard about them in years past. Is there a better way to book reservations than what we're doing right now in Manitoba? I believe there is definitely a better way. I think that what the issues we've seen year over year have not been the same issues because when issues arise, we have addressed those issues. They've been different each year. Um, but having said that, the system that we are using, um, even when it was designed, there had uh, been some flaws identified. Uh, so we are committed uh, certainly I am. We are looking at options of how we can replace the system to better accommodate those who are booking reservations for years to come. I mean, important to know that all this demand for change doesn't fall on you. You are just the person that we were talking to this morning. So we're not trying to pin that responsibility on you. But a question about how does change happen? I mean, are there other places to look to, maybe in the States, as to how they make campground reservations in terms of improving the system? Yeah, I think we have a number of options to look at, even within Canada. There are other jurisdictions who have uh, robust systems that that seem to address some of the issues we're dealing with here in Manitoba. So we will be um, opening up uh, our our ability to look at what their systems offer and how that can be um, uh, implemented here in Manitoba to help address some of these concerns. Minister, we always have to ask you about timelines. In terms of actually realistically looking at changes happening, is there any timeline here? And how do you get that process going? Well, we're going to be careful to do this right. We don't want to rush into something that's just going to add more difficulties or different set of challenges. Um, we hope to have this up and running in the near future. It would be great to have it by next year, but I can't make guarantees when I'm not the one that is actually um, upgrading these systems. So we will have opportunity for public feedback uh, to get uh, the details really of the struggles that people are having and uh, look at the systems that can address those issues. Before we let you go, we're almost out of time here, but did you get a lot of public feedback? I mean, I know people are pretty quick to take to Twitter or Facebook, the Internet in general, when they're frustrated. Did you receive a lot of tweets, a lot of public feedback over the past couple of days? Absolutely. Uh, the feedback was, was quite a bit more this year than in previous years, but every year during the uh, booking time, we do get feedback from public. Uh, and we are closely monitoring all the suggestions. So there's been a lot of um, constructive feedback that we will be taking into consideration and we will reach out again uh, for those who have some some uh, offer of, of advice for us. That's Manitoba's Minister of Conservation and Climate, Sarah Guimard, MLA for Fort Richmond, on with Gabrielle Marchand from Global News Morning today on Global Winnipeg.
Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. McNabb is off today. We've been asking you, 204-780-6868. What's classic rock to you? Tell us why. Santa Lucia Pizza gift card, $20. And the reason we're talking about this is Alan Cross, musicologist. Story at globalnews.ca says, Sorry, Gen X, the music of your youth is now the new classic rock. Well, Greg, you were off the air at the moment when I read this text message from Jason, so I wanted to give you a chance to read it so you could see it and feel it for yourself. I'm pre-reading it, and I absolutely love the sentiment. Alan Cross forgot the most fundamental part of being Gen X. You will not label us. Don't even call us alternative. Maybe classic X. LOL. Either way, we'd probably all agree there's been very little decent music produced over the last 20 years compared to the 70s, 80s, or 90s, which is probably also a good indicator our tastes are now classic. By the way, Neil Howe, who wrote The Fourth Turning, would have subclassifications for us Gen Xers. Greg, you are an Atari Gen Xer, while Brett is a Nintendo Gen Xer. I will wear Atari Gen Xer. I get a t-shirt made with that. And Janet Hall is our winner. Janet actually told a very similar story a few weeks back on a different topic. And uh, we loved that story then, but we had our winner that day. So Janet says, going back to the early 70s, my girlfriend and I decided to go on an after-high school adventure to Montreal. She loved bands such as Genesis, Jethro Tull, Rush. When we found out that Procol Harum was playing somewhere called Pierrefonds, we were on a mission. We got directions and found the place. It was then we were informed we were no longer in Montreal and we're off the island. Okay, we would deal with that later. The moment the band played those infamous first notes of Conquistador, the arena went wild. It was stellar. After the concert, it was pitch dark with no bus stops in sight, not a cab to be seen, so we started to walk. We eventually got back singing the songs all the way. Can't get more classic than Pro Call Harem. And then she asks, ever heard of them? And Janet, I say, no. The only time I've ever heard of them is through your text messages. <laughs> but thanks for the reminder because I liked the music then and I like this music now. You're our winner. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Congratulations. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today and we spoke last half hour about the camping reservation snafu situation aka the provincial website and uh, just want to read this tweet from Winnipeg guy from WPG guy aka carbon based life form who says hey Brett seven and a half hours to get a camping spot yesterday the government system works perfect and you'll eventually get what you need it's just on government time. <laughs> Besides, they will just blame us for using it wrong and trying from multiple computers. Seven and a half hours. We heard from the minister responsible, uh, or the minister in charge of that, uh, Sarah Guimard. She was on with Global News Morning with Gabrielle Marchand this morning, and we played that audio. Global News Morning, by the way, airs Monday to Friday, 6 until 9. So if you want to hear that, go to the audio vault, cjob.com. In the meantime, earlier this morning... City Councillor for St. Boniface, Matt Allard, shared with us the obstacle section 143, parentheses 1, of Manitoba's Highway Traffic Act could cause for the plans to open streets across the city of Winnipeg. Our next guest was invited on the program to discuss a different issue attached to how we navigate streets in our city. Yeah, and in the meantime, the revelation that Well, we might not be able to walk on open streets after all came to light. Brent Bellamy is an architect, chair of the Centre Venture Board. He writes a column for the Winnipeg Free Press, and he joins us now live on the start. Good morning, sir. Good morning. (laughs) Yesterday, when uh, I, after I got confirmation that you were joining us on the show this morning, Brent, I I described City Councillor for North Kildonan, Jeff Perwadi, as your mortal enemy. That was in honour of that epic showdown that face-to-face battle on our yeah. airwaves during the campaign to keep uh, open or closed portage in maine i know it's it's not that serious between the two of you but is it possible councillor Berwadi did those in favor of reducing residential speed limits a favor by commissioning a poll on the topic it's funny because my mom said that exact thing last night she she read my column and texted me and said Jeff's going to hate you because it, it came out that exact way. I, I assume that 
Councillor Berwadi commissioned this um, reducing residential speed limits uh, poll to prove that there was overwhelming uh, opposition to, to driving slower. And the results actually came out that basically 50% of the population says they support reducing re- residential speed limits. So to me, I say thank you, Jeff, and let's take this and run with it because with a little bit of public consultation and outreach and education, I think we can push that um, to a much higher level. And honestly, you know, um, public safety isn't about, uh, it, it isn't a popularity contest. It shouldn't really matter what, how popular it is. It should be based on science and data. But it's good to have people supporting it. And, you know, I think he's done us a, a big favor. And, and let's go. Let's, let's move this forward. Now, one of the conceptions about reduced speed limits on residential streets is that this change would have an impact on the amount of time I spend in my car. You're going to affect right. my, the length of my ride. What can you tell us about that? That is the number one misconception. And Edmonton was actually great at heading that off at the pass. They created an app. Edmonton is one of the, one of the many cities in Canada that has, has reduced their speed limits over the last two years. They created an app that you could download and, and input your destination, and it would tell you the difference in time with the, different spe- with the new speed limits. And what, was, what happened is people realized that it, almost, it has such little effect that it's almost irrelevant. It's within seconds. Because if you really think about how much you drive on a residential street, it's, it's a block or two at the most. Um, there's a real misconception that every street that's 50 kilometers an hour is being switched to 30 kilometers an hour. That's absolutely not true. A residential street is the street that your driveway connects to. You know, it's, it's the, the, the cul-de-sac your kids play street hockey on. And it makes, when you present it like Grant Avenue with 25,000 cars or Portage Avenue downtown has the same speed limit as the cul-de-sac your kids play street hockey on, people say that or see that and say, well, of course, that makes total sense. or It's totally illogical and, and we should change the speed limit. So I think once people realize and think about their, their patterns of travel and, and realize that they don't actually drive on the street in front of their house for more than a few blocks, um, they'll realize that it doesn't really have a major impact on, on the time it takes to get places. Well, and if you're driving on residential streets so often that it is affecting the amount of time that you're spending in the car, you're probably taking the wrong route. And it probably highlights the fact that there's some other deficiencies with regard to transportation in our city that uh, streets like, well, Route 90, Centennial Street is a prime example where they had to put in speed bumps because Route 90 is so inefficient that people decided that they would use uh, Centennial as a bypass. And of course, they had to put in some sort of... uh, impediment to that but but brent the uh, speed limit for a back lane is 30 kilometers an hour is that right 20 miles an hour is that right that's right yeah one of our listeners the last time that we had this discussion sent me a message and it just uh, just popped back into my head about three minutes ago what if at the very least to get things started here any roadway that has, you mentioned driveways connected to it, like mine is out here in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. What if that was the suddenly designated as a roadway slash back lane? Then then would we have the maybe a, a loophole that we need to, to, <laughs> to slow things down officially? I'm just thinking out loud here. You're 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 yeah. a you're a big thinker. I really don't think it's it's that complicated. And and seeing that 50% of the population understands that. Grant Avenue and your cul-de-sac or the street that you're, you back out into when you leave your garage have the same speed limit. I think people understand that that's not reasonable. And, and you know, I, I talk to the guys on my hockey team and they are all, you know, Ford F-150 drivers and they drive lots. And when I actually, when they actually ask, well, what's a residential street anyways? And I explain it almost invariably, they say, yeah, that makes sense. So I think it's just about education. It's about understanding what the real impacts are and sitting down and thinking, how much do I really drive on a two-lane residential street? And should I be driving 50 on it anyways? You probably don't. Even, even today, with the speed limit being 50, you probably don't drive 50 on those streets anyways. So once we understand that, I think it's it's much easier uh, task to, to change the actual rules than, than you know, sliding it through some um, um, loophole or, or back way. Would we be talking about all streets in a residential neighborhood, including connector streets? Like, for example, I lived on uh, at Harrow and Cordon for five years. So Harrow goes through a large 
residential neighborhood, would that street be included in the, the reduction or would it just be all of the, 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 the actual side streets, the residential blocks? Yeah, that's the thing. This is about changing the default. You know, it's the, it's the blanket 50 kilometers is the slowest speed. If you don't see a speed limit, that's the speed. It's just about changing that to 30. And then we can go in and, un, and decide what other streets should stay or should be 40. In Edmonton, they kept something like 25 different streets at 50, because residential streets at 50, because, you know, they're wider or they were heavy traffic. Like you say, Harrow is a, is a good example. Um, you know, you can have gradiated speed limits, you know, thinking of the, you know, the grid, grid neighborhoods, a lot of them have bigger streets that are kind of residential, but they can, they're critical to moving traffic. So they can stay at 50 or move to 40. Maybe the bigger streets like Academy and Cordon are 50 and the smaller streets like Kingsway and, you know, the sort of middle streets are, are 40 and all the others are 30. Like it's, it's not a blanket move. It's, it's just changing the default. So then we can have a rational conversation about which should stay and which should change. You know, there's a faction here of the population. It might be even a, a, a fairly large section of the population, Brent, who believe this will become an excuse for more enforcement, the same yeah. way many see enforcement in school zones as a cash grab, as an opportunity to, to catch us with our, you know, with our th- either our thoughts elsewhere or, or just not realizing that we're, we're going as fast as we are. What, what do you say to those uh, who have that opinion about it and maybe dovetail it into what Matt Allard has suggested yeah. happen with the revenues from school zone uh, infractions? That's exactly what I was going to say. And, and that is, you're absolutely right. That is always one of the first responses. Oh, it's just a cash grab. But, you know, the science behind it really says that, you know, at 30 kilometers an hour, almost nobody dies when they get hit by a, a vehicle and and at 50 kilometers it's a 50 50 chance and we have significant issues with with pedestrians and cyclists every third day a pedestrian or cyclist is sent to the hospital and once a month one is killed i don't think people realize that that's happening um but you're right um that is always one of the criticisms and matt allard councillor allard had an amazing um idea to take the the ticket money from photo radar and use it to actually change the physical environment of school zones. I think we should take it and build and use it every year for, for changing the physical environment of streets, making the streets actually safer, building protected bike lanes, building sidewalks that, you know, bump out at the intersection. So you have a a shorter distance to cross, you know, those kinds of, of interventions that actually make the physical environment safer. Then we wouldn't have to actually have police out or have the photo radar ticketing people because you instinctively drive slower. The environment is is inherently better, more safe, just because of, of the way it's built. And that is definitely the way to do it. We spent, we make $12 million a year on photo radar. Can you imagine spending $12 million a year rebuilding the streets to be safer in your neighborhoods? I think that would be, and then we wouldn't have to police it as much. I, to me, that is 100% the answer. And, and a, I kudos to Councillor Lard for thinking out of the box on that. And one final question, we, we only have about 60 seconds, but open streets, no pedestrians likely this year. What, what do you think the answer is for that? Oh, boy. Uh, is that not the most Winnipeg thing you've ever heard? Like, we yes. had this great idea, we're going to be progressive, and please, Public Works, look into it. And then they find, oh, my goodness, we've got a law that no one knew about. <laughs> so, honestly, I think... Um, I think cooler heads will prevail. I hope the provincial government understands that this is a priority for the city and and we're trying to improve the quality of life and works with us quickly. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. I would suggest maybe we just don't enforce it like we haven't enforced it for many years and, and change the law over the next year. So next year it can all be legal. But to me, I think it's such a ludicrous situation. I think uh, uh, some solution has to be found. I, I have, have trust that our, le- our government representatives will figure it out. I hope so, at least. It's such a crazy situation. Brent Bellamy is an architect, chair of the Centre Venture Board. He writes a column for the Winnipeg Free Press. Thank you for joining us, Brent. Always a pleasure. 
Anytime. Thanks a lot. That's like, Greg, that clip on The Simpsons where Chief Wiggum's going through the old Springfield Constitution or whatever and says, hey, boys, there's a law here that says you can't gamble with squirrels in your pants. And it's the most ridiculous thing. And then he says, knock it off, boys. And then they, they he kicks the squirrel out of the bottom of his leg uh, just to highlight. There are all these old silly laws we might not even know existed. And no this is clearly one that they found. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.